This podcast contains adult language. Starting now. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All the World's a Cage, the podcast that delves deep into Nicolas Cage's extensive filmography, one movie at a time. But this isn't just a podcast, folks, it's an invitation. Come along with us on a voyage from the funeral homes of New York to the deathbeds of Sicily, and then back to New York, but it's a graveyard this time. Today, we're discussing the 1987 romantic comedy Moonstruck, starring Cher and a 21-year-old Nicolas Cage. I'm your co-host, Josh. I'm your co-host, Jeff. Hi, I'm your co-host, Sean. Um, now, I hadn't seen this movie before, and I don't think, Jeff, I don't think you'd seen it either, right? I had not seen this movie before, uh, no. Okay, what did you think of it? I thought this movie was absolutely delightful, uh, particularly the dialogue. Hey, uh, Josh, I, I have a question for you, actually. What's up? Are you proposing marriage to me? <laughs> <laughs> i i love i loved all of the zingers in this movie like it's incredible i'm glad we're on the same page i, I like okay we're gonna make jokes and we're gonna like talk about the insane stuff that happens in this because a lot of insane shit happens in this movie but like this is a good movie yeah but i thought this movie was great it's a fantastic movie okay now now sean had you ever seen Moonstruck before? A couple, couple times. Um, <laughs> couple. Like I said, uh, probably in the before, but uh, this is something that I watch pretty much annually. That's unbelievable. Can I ask why? Uh, why is this like such a repeat watch for you? Something about it. Maybe it's the proximity to the moon. Maybe it's uh, just a good old fashioned <laughs> romantic uh, fairy tale. Because <laughs> clearly this is not based on uh, real relationships yeah <laughs> it had like kind of a magical like element to yes. the movie yeah I, I actually did have that as a question for you guys is the moon magic yes it makes people super horny it's the horny moon is working its horny magic on these characters yes, yes, yes. It it's on everybody's mm -hmm. horny for the moon in this oh, movie the moon. this is no you go sean oh, i was just gonna say the moon is a character in this movie and it is just a giant just turn on like it might as well just be like viagra in the sky it's it's unbelievable yeah this is a romantic comedy that is primarily about three things right the moon uh adultery and dying those are like the three topics that come up again and again and again in this movie absolutely and the like I said, the relationships themselves are just ideas of what you want a relationship to be like when you're in this, this like starry honeymoon phase where you're just still just flush with like hormones and just happiness and kind of blinded with love. But then that fades over time and you become just a bitter old man just trying to get his D wet. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this movie, too. Yeah, if you haven't seen the movie before, it's it's a, it's like a prototypical romantic comedy. Now, this was like in the late 80s. So this is before all the 90s romantic comedies basically made the genre into like a formula, which means this movie can go to really weird places because nobody had really done this kind of story before. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this movie, re I we 
uh, both remarked on this while we were watching the film, but this movie really reads like a like a stage play. Yeah. I, and I couldn't really put my finger on exactly why I was having that feeling. I, I just there were multiple scenes where I thought like, wow, I, I feel like someone could really act the crap out of this with just a, you know, a set that's just a bed and a chair and a small table or something. Yeah, I had the same thought, like the scene where um, Sean, you explained their relationship. It shares uncle, I think. Mm-hmm. So share is like like an accountant or she just does the five mm-hmm. paperwork for certain businesses around the community. And one of which being the deli that yeah. her uncle owns. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The scene where her uncle is getting out of bed in the middle of the night to look at the moon through his window. I, I was like, this looks like this is like a, a play like this should be on a stage. And I think you said something about the writer, uh, Jeff. Yeah, so I was doing a little research about the uh, production crew. The writer of this movie is primarily famous for plays as a playwright, including uh, Doubt, a parable, which won the 2005 Pulitzer Prize for drama. Fantastic movie as well. Oh, wow. No shit. Mm -hmm. But definitely one of those that it's like, you know, it's it's like uh, Fences. What what is that one? Sorry, it's Denzel Washington, and he's like, it's got baseball in it. Anyways, uh, like it's... Oh, I don't know that yeah, one. It's, yeah, I'm it's not just, familiar with that either. It's the... It's names for uh, leaving me at the moment, but it's just one of those things where you adapt <laughs> a play to a movie where it really doesn't... You, you don't benefit from the, like, motion picture. It's something that, like, you know, really, you're there to just see some solid acting in maybe two sets and like this whole place could or this whole movie could have been based in like the kitchen and the bedroom and that would like maybe maybe if you want to spring for it the bread shop yeah uh, <laughs> oh, but don't forget the uh the opera house as well um and i looked sean by the way it is called fences you're right there it is so okay um if you haven't seen this movie before it's a romantic comedy and it is the, the basic plot is that Cher is like Sean said, she's like an accountant. She is going to marry a man named I'm just going to call him Danny Ayo because that's the actor. And I, I think him and his brother are named Johnny and Ronnie. So just to keep it straight, she's going to marry Danny Ayo, who's like a bumbling idiot. And he leaves mm-hmm. to go to Sicily because his mom is dying. And she meets Nick Cage, who is Danny Ayo's younger brother. She falls in love with him instead, and at the end of the movie, they end up together. And everyone's fine with it. Everybody's fine with it. Danny Aieo is super fine with it. I mean, like, he's, called off the he's wedding. like cheering at the end. He called off the wedding it's because fucking... of superstition, thinking that might kill his mom. Which I did not understand that plot point. Ah, uh, superstition. <laughs> yeah, this movie made me feel, hmm... This movie made me feel like either I'm a child that doesn't understand marriage or that I'm a racist that doesn't understand Italian culture at all. Yeah. Maybe both. It's it's everybody in this movie cheats on like everybody else and everyone's pretty much fine with it. It it treats adultery like if somebody forgot to unload the dishwasher. You know what I mean? Like, oh, come on, you. Yeah, it's it. They definitely. Uh. At the end of the film, when they're all the final scene, when they're all around the kitchen table, they move past each other's infidelities really, really quickly. Yeah, with very little discussion and like nobody seems overly bothered by it. 
I mean, they, they do, but they get over it like in like a minute. It's fascinating. So I think we should get into some of the things that we liked about this film. Okay. Before we kind of just rub Rose, the mother, or Cher's mother. Yeah. Did not cheat on anybody. Okay. She was just trying to get to the very simple conclusion that men are scared of dying. And that's <laughs> apparently why we just chase women. I don't know. Emotional infidelity is a thing. And I think they made it seem like she wanted to go home with Frazier's dad. Oh, yeah. Also, Frazier's dad is in this movie. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess we should probably. John Mahoney. I looked it up because all in my notes, I just wrote the words Frazier's dad about a thousand times. He was also titled Frazier's dad in my notes. <laughs> yeah. John Mahoney, um, who has a really interesting like through line of getting drinks thrown in his face by like young women. And I thought he was actually a pretty interesting, sort of compelling character to watch. Yeah, but there is one line that makes me cringe so hard when he goes, eh, she was a student of mine. Was a student. Is a student. Was. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, you retaliation like, on a girl that didn't want to sleep with you or did and then stopped? Oh. You, that is just so gross. I didn't catch that. It, was, it made me so unsympathetic of that character. I was like... Why are they just stopping at water? Why don't they pour, like, spaghetti in his face? <laughs> like, Yeah, or maybe some sort of uh, litigation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or, like, yeah, revoke his tenure and get him removed from the university. Because it's a pattern. Obviously, all this being said, I still, the whole time he was on, I was like, he's fun to watch. He's a charismatic man. Yeah, he's interesting, you know? And not only that, I mean, his flaws are, you know, flaws are what make an interesting character. That's part of what I found really compelling about this movie and why I thought the script itself was one of the strong points is that, you know, the tension between the characters, good sides and their less than stellar qualities, I, I thought was really interesting and fleshed out in a very realistic way. Yeah, nobody in this movie was perfect, which was cool. Everybody had a few flaws and... While we're on the subject, let's talk about Nicolas Cage. Yeah, let's talk about Nicolas Cage. Fresh out the gate, he is just putting all that steam in there. Like, he knows he's the firecracker that starts this movie off. Yeah, that was his thought when he's making this. He was definitely, he was definitely like, I'm the energy of this movie. Like, I'm the fire. I'm the coal in the coal oven underneath the bakery, I guess. And <laughs> I also have to ask you guys, do you think he acts that dramatic every day? Like you see the other guy shoveling bread in, and he's just like, he's just like, uh, they, he's at it again. Darn it, Timmy. He, he threatens to kill himself. Bring me the big knife. He 30 says. seconds. Bring me the big knife <laughs> to his assistant. 30 seconds into his appearance. That, that, Chrissy. Chrissy. Chrissy's like, what is her story? I want to know because she hits like two lines in the whole movie, and one of which is, I don't know if you wrote it down. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't write down the exact okay. quote, but pretty much she gives a, a little speech that's just for the audience's benefit. That's like, he's such a poor, tormented soul, and I'm so in love with him, but he'll never know my love because I'm too scared to tell him about it. And then, and then just isn't a character anymore. <laughs> such tragedy there are so many things in this movie that are like they seem so important and are just dropped like when danny aeo goes to sicily at the airport 
there's that old woman who says she's gonna like put a curse on the oh plane. Oh my god, I forgot about her. Yeah, she also doesn't believe in curses. <laughs> a lot, but does believe in luck. Oh my god, Cher is crazy for luck. That, see, this backs up my theory that magic is real in the context of this movie because like Cher mm -hmm. is so hell bent on turning her luck around that it, it seems like she has empiric proof that luck is a real tangible thing that can be changed. Fuck me, man. They're they're so obsessed with luck and superstition and doing things the right way or else you'll get bad luck and also blaming themselves for things that happened. It's just weird. This movie has a weird relationship with guilt, too. Like, Nick Cage loses his hand in a bread slicer because Danny Aieo was, like, talking to him. Yeah, because he was just, like, in the room, I think, and it distracted him. Yeah. <laughs> And he even says during the scene when he's freaking out about it, he says like that he knows it doesn't make any sense to, to hold it against him, you know? Yeah. 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 But he still does. Yeah. I mean, I, I would wager a guess that a lot of that is steeped in the heavily Catholic energy of this movie. Like they're they're not really like openly talking about religion a lot, but these are like <laughs> extremely Italian Italians. Yeah. Putting man, putting Catholicism on blast today. Well, you know, I call it like I see it. I'm just saying that mm. Catholicism has a certain association with guilt. I am not the first to point it out, and I will not be the last. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also, when you, uh, it just seems that uh, two rosaries to do two rosaries for an infidelity <laughs> seemed a little light. Like she got off pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. I feel like. I you would get the that. same penance for, like, accidentally hitting I, your grandma in the ankles with your skateboard or something. Yeah, okay. I drank too much communion wine. <laughs> All right, we got to talk about this because, yeah, Cher cheats on her fiancé. Like, she doesn't, like, flirt with Nick Cage and kiss him once or something like you would see in a movie like this. She full-on cheats on him. She says something along the lines... Tear my leave, uh, tear me apart till there's nothing but flesh and bone, skin and bone. I mm -hmm. just, yeah. which I mean, share. You're a tall drink of water. You're pretty much f just flesh and bone right now. <laughs> but yeah, just good golly, oof. Share on blast they too. Tear at it like I mean, when when she describes him as your wolf, I was just like, yeah. And his tongue just rolled out of his head and went down on the floor. His, uh, eyes, his eyes popped out. <laughs> God. <laughs> they, like, that scene, the dialogue between Nick Cage and Cher when they're, like, about to consummate their, their lusty passion was one of the moments that made me be like, wow, I really want to see what, like, some yeah. IHSSA, you know, high school theater kids could do with this dialogue because you could just act the hell out of this <laughs> yeah i mean he's really going for it in this one he is he has turned the acting knob up to 10 and broken it off like he's he, the beginning of his uh his character in this movie is literally like a five minute monologue in the basement of a bakery yeah, it's a glorious monologue, too. I, that is definitely a moment from this film that I will be revisiting. Uh, the just yelling at his wooden hand. Oh, yeah. Also, he's got a wooden hand in this movie. I lost my girl. I lost my hand. Daddy's got his hand. He's got his girl. Oh, my God. Gold. It's it good. is amazing. And it's like, 
I just want to know how many takes did they have to do for that? Because I think they nailed it in one. I feel like it's either one or a thousand. <laughs> There's no middle ground. Like either he got it, like nailed it, or the director made him do it over and over again until he went insane. I wonder if that's the beginning of it all. I mean, do you think that that's that's the beginning of Nick Cage's heel turn? Mm -mm. Well, before this one, he had done uh, Raising Arizona, I guess. He's pretty subdued in that. Or he's, he's not pretty like, reserved in that movie. I love yeah, that movie. Maybe it is. Can't wait to do that movie. Whew. Also, looks amazing in this movie. Like, I dis I strongly disagree. As, as long as like as long as you don't see a direct line to his teeth. It's just, he's a hottie. He's a hottie, especially when he's dressed up for the opera. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I disagree. I've, I've mentioned before my curiosity of, of the fact that Nick Cage, you know, got this niche in Hollywood as like a leading man. And, you know, seeing him in this movie and the way he pre presents himself, it really does actually help explain it to me. Like he he is handsome and charismatic in this film. Genuinely. I can't believe how hard I disagree with you guys on this. <laughs> okay, so you've heard the two guys that like it. Let's let's turn this mirror well, over. <laughs> I liked like it's a good movie, but I don't think he was like no, I don't think he looked good in this. I thought Cher looked great, but oh, Cher looked mm. great. Yeah, she looked amazing, but better before the makeover, I thought. Like when they mm. both arrive at the opera. Bigger Cher's hair can be What's that, Sean? Better. I liked the gray, though. Yes. I liked oh, it. I thought yeah, I after when they show up at the opera, mm. after she gets a makeover and he's like cleaned up, they both look so much worse. <laughs> wow. That's yeah, harsh I mean, take harsh take. Well, you know, I mean, Josh just fell under the spell of La Bella Luna. <laughs> La Bella Luna. Ah. Yeah, man. Let's talk about Cher's dad for a little bit. <laughs> Cosmo. <laughs> Cosmo, yes. Cosmo okay. uh, is a plumber, right? Mm -hmm. Who cheats on Cher's mom. Yes. <laughs> Before we move past him being a plumber, I, one of my favorite bits from this movie is uh, the uh, Frazier's dad says something. I think it's when Frazier's dad says something about how nice the house is. And Cher's mom is like, oh, yeah, my husband's a plumber. And he's like, oh, well, that explains it as if it does. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell if that was a joke or not. It had to be, right? Like, if you're charging everyone the most think expensive it was. pipe, yeah, there's probably some. Uh, you're probably getting a good paycheck. He only uses copper, which I mean, it's it's fine. But like, don't they use PVC nowadays? Like, oh, well, I guess this is a while ago. But I just <laughs> the real estate in New York. I just can't emphasize one of the most expensive places in the world. They have a whole house. The whole house. The, yeah. Nick Cage works as a bakery coal shoveler, a job I didn't know was a, th was a thing until I watched this movie. A job I didn't know I wanted. <laughs> I mean. It's wa caution with the bread slicer. Obviously, mm. it gets you ripped. He lives in a like 2,500 square foot apartment in like New York City. Which for a guy that doesn't do anything besides shovel coal and go to the yeah. opera. He has a wonderful taste of style. Yeah, like, like <laughs> his apartment is like modern and tastefully decorated and clean. But from the initial 
introduction of him, you would expect him to live in like a, a hole in the wall, you know? Yeah, his his girl that left him must have been an interior designer. <laughs> Maybe, I guess so. And also, he had a bird, a pet bird. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. Which I, I just wanted to know more about. That's Wait, just... he did? I don't remember that at all. Yeah. It's just in the background. Yep. Huh. So it's like he he likes animals, too. Like, he's just a wonderful sweetheart that's just living in this self-doubt and, like, hatred. And and is it focused at his brother? It seems like he just, I mean, uh, just, it did not look like a house and his mom person. His mom, when when he's told that his mom is dying, he's he's like, eh, (laughs) she didn't like me anyway. Yeah, Yeah. she doesn't like me. It's fine. She can die. Yeah, Danny Aieo and Nick Cage's mom is dying in this movie, and the only person that cares is Danny Aieo. Even the mom doesn't really seem to care all that much. Yeah, Cher certainly doesn't care, nor any of the rest of her family. They shrug it off. She's like annoyed that it's happening. His mom's dying. She's like, she's like, every time it comes up, she's like, oh, again with the mom. (laughs) We have to set a date. How long is it going to take for your mom to die? A week. Two weeks tops. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not an answer you would say. Like, it sounds like you. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Like, at a certain point, you mourn. You're, you're done mourning before the person's actually left. You know, sometimes things change. But it's like this is a mama's boy. Yeah, he is like crazy for his mama. I mean, I feel like that's what we're supposed to think. Because <laughs> he stands outside her her room and just weeps into a, a, a napkin <laughs> like if i was dying i would be like please close the door i don't want to see this i'm dying not you <laughs> that's kind of what she does she does wave him off a couple times in that scene like get it like get out of here i thought she was hilarious Absolutely. um yeah it was the strangest scene i've ever seen played for laughs in a movie yeah, it was the fact that that was a comedic relief scene was definitely challenging. Yeah, it was it was fucking weird, man. Yeah, the opera scene was also interesting. That's kind of the turn of the movie where uh, Cher sort of, I guess, not really falls for Nick Cage, but like accepts that she has. Yeah, she, it's this is the scene in which Cher decides that she, in fact, is in love with someone. That she is known for one day. One day. The only conversation that they've had is a screaming match about how the other one is a broken person. <laughs> and then they hump. And now they're in love. At the opera. I don't think she's in... She she feels something. But I don't think she's quite at love yet. I... Okay. <laughs> well, she gets there, though, right? By the end of the movie, uh, she's they're in love with each other. That is, that is well, what the movie wants us to accept. When she sleeps over for the first night, she misses the dinner... But then she also misses the story of Cosmo's moon. And then she's still over there that night. Like you because she goes out to the window and then sees the moon. And that's maybe when I guess uh, magic happens. Yeah. The conceit of the moon in this movie is apparently that it makes like true love happen. I think it brings the girl to the man. The beautiful moon brings uh, it's what they say in the graveyard, but it's all in Italian. Oh, well, that would have been nice to know. <laughs> uh, apparently, the grandfather <laughs> uh, doesn't speak English, <laughs> so he's like, does he does a great job, but it's like a... But he's not acting he's, at all. He's not really, wait, wait. He's not really acting uh, except for the English parts. The actor that plays Cher's grandpa or the yeah. character? No, the man, like the actual actor that played his... Play, played the... Oh, 
what is his name? Cher's grandfather, yeah. She's Cher's grandfather, the one that yeah. Says dog dog guy. Piece. Whoa. He's not even uh, Italian. He was born in Moscow. In- wow. Interesting. Died in Rome, though, so who knows? Well, and then that's honorary at that point, I think. Mm. Yeah. Shit, what else do you guys want to talk about? Well, let me just quickly go over my notes here. Oh, yeah, that slap. <laughs> The double take? Yeah, the double slap. This movie had multiple, like, laugh out loud funny moments, but that was probably the best one. I was dying. <laughs> it's so loud. I love that the second slap is even harder. <laughs> As if, like, take one. Blap. Okay, we might not have gotten it. Blap, blap. Okay. Yeah, the the second slap had the energy of a woman who's slapping a man to say, how dare you make me slap you? <laughs> it was like carrying a lot of emotion behind it, which, you know, powerful moment. But I, I liked that there were parts like that in this movie where it's, you know, an actual emotional peak in the, you know, romantic story. But it's also just laugh out loud funny. I mean, I, I really like... I, I actually really, really like this movie. Yeah, me too. It's great. There's so much, so many great conversations about relationships and about what love is about and so many great performances from a lot of people. Um, Olympia Dukakis plays uh, Cher's mom. Oh my God. She's amazing in this movie. Absolutely wonderful. And Cher won, she won like best actress for this, didn't she? Uh, I believe that's correct. Olympia Dukakis definitely won best supporting actress. Let me see here. Yes, she did. Best supporting oh, no actress, shit. best actress share, and best original screenplay. And I think that checks out. Those are the three strongest wow. elements. In wow. I would agree with that. Although we did uh, sort of blow past Cosmo there. You wanted to talk about For Cosmo, sure. and I, I feel like I kind of derailed us somehow. <laughs> You're fine. We can, we can back the train up a little bit. Yeah. Cosmo is Cher's dad and is cheating on her with, I don't know that we ever learn much about the woman that he's having an affair with, except for that she puts blush in her cleavage. Yeah. <laughs> for like a long time. Like that's, that's a really long shot. Other than that, yeah, that's pretty much all he does. At the opera house too, like <laughs> not in a seedy nightclub, they're at the <laughs> opera house and she's just, she gets a deep in there. Shoot, well, you got to make sure that the actors can see it from the stage. Oh, shoot. I didn't even think about that. That's true. I also love that Nick Cage wears that white opera scarf. Mm-hmm. I love it. It classes him up so well. Has anyone, like, do you ever wear those to anything but the opera? I don't know why you would ever wear one. I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's clearly a fashion accessory. It's not, like, going to keep yeah. you warm during that cold opera. Well, yeah, he never has it, like, around his neck. Well, I mean, it's fine for him to own clothes that he would only wear to the opera because his character is one dimensional enough that he only has. Well, I guess he's two dimensional. He he, there's opera Nick and there's greasy back meat Nick. (laughs) Well, I mean, he loves two things. Cher and the opera. Well, and and threatening (laughs) suicide. Yes. And suicide. I think he's more like likes attention, really. Yeah, I don't know. He was insane in this movie. Can Mm -hmm. we agree on that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's his performance is jarring, uh, to put it charitably. It's at best out of place and yeah. at worst, like almost I'm sorry, it almost drags this movie down into bad territory because it's so alarming. And the movie hinges on it so much. He makes bread. Say bread is life. What's that make him? 
God? <laughs> I feel like you're trying to get us to say God. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of... Is that the is that the answer to your wizard's riddle, Sean? Your words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of wizards, what? Uh, maybe I have a question for you guys. Um, I hope that you guys might know more about the opera than me. Yeah. Is there a xylophone wizard at every opera event? <laughs> like every every um intermission, every opera intermission contain a, a xylophone wizard? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just bring out the little xylophone thing and like, ding, 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 ding. And then that's like, yeah. Hey, did you, you got like five minutes to get back to your seat? We back to your seat. So like chug your wine. Yeah. But did you see him? He wasn't dressed as an usher. He was dressed as a grand poobah. Oh. Yeah. The cape. I've never seen a cape necessary. I don't I don't think it. that's in all opera houses, but they are at what the Met. So maybe. Yeah. I think you guys just need to go to more operas. I, yeah, I've shit, only ever been to so. two. <laughs> that's two more than I've been to. I saw Cats one time. I fell asleep. Um, I, I was 11 years old. Is that an opera? I'm going to go ahead and break this to you, Josh. Cats is not an opera. Oh, okay. Okay. Wait, okay. Is, it a, is it a rock bro, rock opera? No, Tommy is a rock yeah, opera. No, you're right. It's a musical. I don't know why I thought. I don't know why I equated the two in my mind. Tommy. I mean, they're both. They're definitely both dorky things for nerds, but <laughs> they are distinct. I yeah, I remember falling asleep 10 minutes into it. I was 11 years old and I woke up probably an hour in and I was so confused. I had no idea what was going on. And then I, I looked it up later and I watched it. And I don't think that falling asleep is what made it hard to understand. Yeah, no, so I can tell was... you from personal experience that the musical Cats doesn't have a plot. When when you woke up was a uh, rum tum tugger like uh, like sleeping in your lap. <laughs> He was like curled up and like licking his his hand and then rubbing it on his face. I so I just went back to sleep. <laughs> I always fall asleep when there's a cat in my lap too. Yeah, they're warm. Yeah, but back to this movie. <laughs> no, fu no, fuck it, man. This is a cat's cast now. Oh, I mean, I'm surprised it took us two episodes. Yeah, don't tempt Sean. <laughs> um, yeah. What else do you guys want to talk about? Anything else in the movie that really stood out to you? Okay, so. We haven't really dove into this scene particularly, but the it's the last day, or I mean, it's pretty much the last scene of the movie. <laughs> Everybody's having breakfast together. <laughs> At this point, they know they're waiting for the brother to get back yeah. with his like luggage. But <laughs> yeah, they're waiting for Danny Aiello. Yeah. At this point, we know that Cher is in love with Nick Cage, <laughs> and it is. <laughs> and then there's also the uh, quick acknowledgement of the father's infidelities and he just says the extremely quick acknowledgement yes uh it's over and he hits the table i guess that was established at the very beginning of the movie huh. but it wasn't as loud and so i guess that is a callback but i mean it's just it, he gave him a little bit there to work with but it, it was fine he was doing his thing it was yeah it's just okay. They they're all eating their mash, whatever. Oatmeal, yeah. Oatmeal, <laughs> yes. That 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 whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> this just kind of breaks into just sitting around, just sitting, and this is the climactic ending. Except 
for the one woman in that oh, scene. Oh, they should have got her. Who, a for chair. some reason, they don't give her a chair. <sighs> that was I, which infuriated me. Yeah, and me. then and then the door rings and she's like, "I'll get it." And I was like, oh, "You're already standing up." <laughs> one of the most. It's maybe the moment in this movie that I empathized with the most was standing around a bunch of people who are sitting down, and you're the only one without a chair, and you're just like, "Well." I guess I'll just leave or sit on the table or something. Like, I, I empathize with her a lot in that moment. Yeah, that's fine. I didn't really want to be around people anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, well, fuck me, I guess. They just came here to make sure Cher wasn't stealing money. Yeah! <laughs> yeah, that is true. Is that what that was? <laughs> Which is glossed over so quickly. Yeah, she didn't, the night she goes to the Met with uh, Nick is... Uh-huh. Also, when she decides to spontaneously, like, just out of the blue, get a new hairdo. Yeah. And that, that puts off her going to make the deposit at the bank. Right. She gets her hair done. She goes and buys her new sexy dress and then literally slapstick runs into a pair of nuns while leaving the store. <laughs> Which I did laugh at because it was so ridiculous. And also, another scene that I guess, like, just goes by, but she's sitting next to a fire just looking at shoes and the dress she bought on the floor i just normally you throw it on the bed you hang it up but like this was just that sexy kind of like look into her life just like she hasn't been on a date in a long time she's excited just as excited as nick if not more yeah she's excited because it's the first date she's been on since her husband died like this movie it begins at the end of another romantic comedy you know what i mean yes it's a sequel yeah, it's like the sequel. It's a t- it's like a sequel that gets a really low rating on Rotten Tomatoes because she, her husband passed away, was hit by a bus, and then she starts dating Danny Aiello, kind of a bumbling, lovable idiot who proposes to her. And I was like, great, that this is the climax to a different movie, and it's happening ten minutes into this one. And she does not care at all. Yeah, and then <laughs> the whole rest of the movie is about her just fucking over this super chill nice dude i mean yeah he's not exciting but he doesn't do anything wrong in the whole movie really i mean he's got some backward ideas like about what oh man the way he refers to her he's like like his first line in the movie is uh something along the lines where he's like look at that (laughs) <laughs> a man that doesn't or a woman that doesn't listen to her man is funny oh yeah that's right oh, and, I did forget and he's referring dad. to the woman the young woman student throwing water in Fraser's father's face yeah <laughs> and then he's like he makes a joke where he's just like oh you know like <laughs> women be crazy and <laughs> yeah you're right the he rest does of the make a women be crazy the, joke. the rest of the couples laugh at it i did forget about that as if they were just like um i'm sure that woman had a totally normal reason to throw water in this pig's face yeah i forgot about that part okay but other than that one thing (laughs) that one really important thing it it establishes the character that he's kind of an idiot well and he doesn't take share seriously he just wants you know a woman to do his stuff like press his shirts he does for him he does he has to be coerced into getting down on one knee because he's nice wearing suit. a nice suit. I thought that <laughs> even was the funny. waiter <laughs> says it. Yeah. Why is he on his knees? It's he's a wearing... nice suit. Oh, Bobo. And I yeah, want, I want a movie just about Bobo. Just the, who? Which one was Bobo? He was the little uh, Italian waiter. It's oh, just like was old he guy. the Italian <laughs> in this movie? Well, he's a Italian. 
Speaking of things in this movie that were extremely Italian, can we take a minute to acknowledge the soundtrack and how absolutely groovy and awesome it was? It's so good. There were multiple times when I looked up the the soundtrack because I was like, this is a fucking jam, dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, speaking of which, I went ahead and took the liberty of looking up the soundtrack as well because, Josh, you were in in the scene where she's getting ready to go to the Met. You were getting heavily down with the groovy saxophone solo. (laughs) delivered by saxophonist Mo Kaufman. The name of the piece is, parentheses, in Loretta's bedroom, getting ready. So that's the one. That's the one you you liked. I need to to get that on a CD. Getting ready. Yeah, that would work. work Don't don't buy it before Christmas. I'll... (laughs) okay i've got it pulled up on youtube so yeah if you want to if you're able to drop that into the episode i think you know i think we could all use a refresher on that extremely good piece of music i will i'll put a little bit in there um Another uh, thing that happens in this movie, or that's referenced a lot in this movie, is uh, La Bohème, the the opera that they go to. Mm-hmm. There's a picture of it in his bedroom. Which was insane. Yeah, the cold open is the sign getting put up mm-hmm. outside of the mat. Yeah, it's a crazy coincidence that he happens to have that poster in his apartment. He loves the opera. Yeah, I guess so. I'm not familiar with this opera, so what is... Is there any significance to the story? Yeah. Like, is it mere the story, other than the fact that it's a sad romantic tale of a woman with tuberculosis? Okay, I mean, that is pretty much what it's about. I watched it for, like, a musicology class I took, um, and this was years ago, so I don't remember it, like, completely clearly but there is i mean there is a a really big famous scene in it where two people sing a song about falling in love with each other and it's like in the moonlight that's like the focus of the scene so i think that's kind of the reference there Mm -hmm. that makes sense okay imagine aping an opera besides madam butterfly that's crazy (laughs) i almost said or macbeth i don't know what operas are (laughs) yeah we have definitely established that at this point (laughs) No, it's like, you know, people on a stage. I mean, it's like all every play is an opera, but not every. Yeah. yeah. You know, all of the great operas, you know, Grease, Ice Road Truckers. Exactly, man. I'm not familiar with that one, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to put that in my queue. Phantom of the Opera. Oh, wait. Yeah, that one's that yeah, one's a, that's that, an opera. That one's got that one's got opera in the title. That's right, buddy. Yeah. Oh, good. Thank you. But is that one actually an opera? I don't I don't honestly know. Is that a play or an opera? If that one, if that one's not an opera, I'm gonna lose my mind. It's a musical. It's definitely a musical. God damn it! Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> so is Fast and the Furious Ten going to be a musical or God, an opera so. or something? Like they gotta switch it up eventually. God, I hope so. Just like if they put it on a stage, then it's an opera. Yeah, just I mean, as long as they sing in. It can be any language, can it? Or do operas need to be Jeff? foreign language? Can can does an opera have to be English? Uh, like not not English? I mean, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say it's got to be in one of the fancier languages. Oh. You know, you're Italian, you're French, you're Spanish, or Russian. Yeah, sure, Russian could work too. That's a very good point. Sean. Wasn't that a Russian opera that they just went to? La Bohème. Yeah. No, it's super French, dude. Huh. You learn something new. I am a million percent sure it's French. 
<laughs> I'm a million you... percent sure I don't know what operas are. <laughs> it's set in Paris, bro, but it is Italian. God damn it. <laughs> um, that's Amore. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I would just like to apologize to the listeners. We did actually think for a second that something in this movie wasn't Italian. <laughs> and that was a very stupid thing to think. <laughs> Well, I'm done. Do you guys have anything else you want to say? Um, I just want to say, is it too late for us to be doing a podcast about share? Because <laughs> by three, the time three white guys, three straight white guys doing a, a show about share, that's different. That's not. <laughs> that's not true. Everybody has that. That's right. It's not your mama's <laughs> podcast. Yeah. One more thing for straight white guys to talk about. That's great. Yeah. She was, I mean, she was great. She was very watchable in this movie. I thought everybody in this movie was awesome, except Nick Cage was like, I thought he was fine, but the problem was that he was surrounded by so many other insane performances and great actors that I feel like he just kind of tried to bring it by swinging for the fences, but I don't think it really worked that well. Yeah, so, which is a strategy that we're going to see him use time and time again. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to save that clip and I'm just going to start dropping it into every other episode. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good sort of yardstick, I think, of of Nick Cage freakouts because he definitely goes harder. But this one felt very natural, you know, mm-hmm. with him shouting at Cher in this movie just felt like, it, you know, just butter sliding off a hot biscuit. He was <laughs> he was it was, it was a very it was a very uh, natural thing for him. Yeah, I mean, I guess I agree. I guess, you know, we haven't really talked much about Danny Aieo, his his character or his acting in this movie. I thought it was great as kind of like a bumbling idiot. Like I said this the other night that um, in any other movie, Nick Cage is the villain of this movie. And Danny Aieo is like the lovable goof that Cher falls in love with at the end. Yeah, it is a bit of role reversal for sure. Instead of switching from the brash hothead to the... Uh you know, safe but lovable brother. It's definitely um, sort of breaks the formula in that way. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. But they also have the dynamic uh, where it is also referred to earlier in the movie where Cher is having the dinner with Danny and says, uh, he when he says that comment, is like, a man who can't control his woman is funny. And then... She goes, oh, he's just too, she's just, he's too old for her, you know? And then that's reversed when, you know, you hear, or when she hooks up with Nick Cage. Oh my God. As well, as that line is said again, when Rose is having dinner with uh, dad of uh, Frasier. (laughs) Yeah, Frasier. Yeah, she does tell Uh, him that uh, he's too old for the, the women that he's with. That's true. I... I didn't even think about that. And then it comes up in the age difference thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. They they never directly talk about the age difference between Cher and Nick Cage. It is alluded to, but it is not like they don't ever bring it up. Yeah, which I thought was interesting because I wasn't sure if we're supposed to think they're around the same age or if it's supposed to be like a thing in the plot of the movie. Yeah, I wasn't really sure about that either. You said that Nicolas Cage was only 21 years old at the time that they made this movie. He definitely, it didn't feel like he was playing a 21-year-old. Yeah, I think he was 20, yeah, because it came out in 87. He was born in 64, so maybe like 21, 22. Yeah. 
And Danny Aiello in this movie is conservatively like 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah, old enough to be Nick Cage's and father. Absolutely. They do, I, I believe they refer to her age in the movie as like 37, 37? I believe. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, it's not that big a deal. It, but it's uh, it's just something that's like slyly just like, you know, exposition drop. Yeah. Kind of, you know, just like loose one line that just like kind of puts it there, but it doesn't actually really focus the movie on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of refreshing, honestly, that it's treated in that way, you know, which is why I liked her having gray hair at the beginning, because I was like, I haven't seen that before. I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen like a, a rom com where the main actress has like, you know, graying hair when she's in like her 30s and then she dyes her hair and i was like ah, never mind sounds like someone hasn't watched book club i haven't what is book club we'll talk about it later okay well yeah we'll talk about that later uh so yeah i think that about wraps it up right now the last thing i want to ask is we usually do a little recast here at the end do you guys have any other suggestions that or any other actors that you would like to suggest for the Nick Cage role in this movie. This movie was perfect. Don't change a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got Sean's opinion, apparently. Hmm. Or uh, uh, Kurt Russell. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say Kurt Russell every episode. I'm, and you know what? I will never be wrong. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good cast. I mean, all, all together, everybody from top to bottom of this was just fantastic. Even that like opening scene where you have the guy that's just like a funeral home director and he's just like throws some butter on a bagel like a and then lot. gets it on his tie and it's just like never seen again. Yeah, he puts like half a stick of butter on that. But it's still fantastic. Yeah, yeah I then... thought for sure that was cream cheese. <laughs> Cold that butter. That is way too much butter. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You're surrounded by dead people. You want to live a little, okay? Mm. Extra butter. I mean, that's true. This is a romantic comedy that opens up in a funeral home. (laughs) I would suggest... To remind you of death. (laughs) It never lets you forget, that's for sure. Uh, I would like to see Al Pacino do it. I think he would be able to bring the manic, lunatic energy to it. And I think he was... He's probably younger than Danny Aiello, but he's, like, of a similar age. Yeah, I mean, he... He would look more related. Yeah, to, like to Danny than, than like Nick Cage. I was just like, well, they the same mom. But yeah, I, is he adopted? I'm gonna go with adoption in my head. Maybe not the same dad. Yeah, <laughs> like is that like? It's, yeah, he's adopted, and that's why he has no. He does not care about his family. <laughs> just. I have a question for the conceit of the recast question. Am I constrained by linear time? No, you could say like you want 1950s Clint Eastwood if you wanted to say that. Okay, I am not going to say that. Kurt Douglas. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to go with Chris Pratt. I would like to see (laughs) Chris Pratt, a young Chris Pratt. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Same movie, just 2020, and it's Chris Pratt. Plain young guy, and then just regular share, like share from now, share as as she she's, lives as now she as a seventy five year old woman. That sounds sounds about right. She's seventy three. Okay, Parks and Rec, Chris Pratt, or like Jurassic World, Chris Pratt. Oh, Parks and Rec. Okay, Chris Pratt. For Good. Sure. Okay, yeah, prime Chris Pratt. Good luck getting him to put that belly back on. No, I need him with a baker's body. Oh yeah, a man who solely subsists off of carbohydrates. 
Well, I think that about covers it for this week. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, I will go look up what an opera is, I promise. If you thought this was good, tune in next week, where we are going to be talking about the 2009 film Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Thanks for listening. Don't worry, this will be short. If you enjoy the podcast and want updates, check us out on Twitter. We're at Atwack. That's A-T-W-A-C for All the World's a Cage. Also, review us on iTunes, if you use that. Or recommend us to a friend. Well, ask if they like Nick Cage first, and then ask if they like podcasts. And then recommend us. Thanks again.